The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Jeremy Canopo, co-founder of Motivo. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Well, thanks for making the time to be with us today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds, tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I'm a industrial designer and mechanical engineer by training, been in corporate product development and designed for about 20 years, earned a number of patents over those years, and then about four years ago left the corporate world with our co-founder, Jennifer Harris, to start Motivo. Perfect. And a perfect segue. Could you take the next couple of minutes and provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of Motivo? Sure. The original genesis for Motivo was really we wanted something better for our parents and our grandparents, both of whom had to use assistive devices like walkers and canes and crutches, and we were just kind of appalled by how archaic and unchanged a lot of those devices had been over the years, and as we're both product designers, we felt there had to be a better solution out there. So we spent about the first year and a half, raised a little bit of money from private investors, and did just research with consumers, finding out what they wanted in a walking aid and independent products in general. Another year or so doing prototyping, we quit our full-time jobs from corporate America and dedicated ourselves to making prototypes and testing them with consumers, and along the way, raised a little bit more money to support ourselves, and then for the past year and a half or so, we've been working on ramping up the manufacturing to where we're getting ready to launch our first product in a couple months, which is the Motivo Tour, which is a complete reinvention of walkers with better ergonomics and design and convenience features. And at the end of the day, what we really wanted to deliver was more pride and dignity to folks where a lot of the products that are out there tend to take those things away from people when kind of the last thing they're really trying to hold on to as much as possible and feeling like a hospital patient when you're walking around with a lot of these older designs and medical-looking products certainly does not help in the pride and dignity side. So besides all the functional benefits, that was something we really wanted to deliver with Motivo products, and we're excited to be launching the first one with the tour here in a couple months. Jeremy, give us a benefit of your history walking through this. Tell us the story of the walker as we've come to know it and why it needed to be changed. Sure. Well, I mean, the original walking frames, there's patents that go back to the beginning of the last century. If you look at wooden walking frames and standing aids, but the kind of the modern walker that most people think of with the tennis balls and the the aluminum tubes really came out of England during the World Wars, and it was really created for injured war veterans 
to be used in the hospitals to help them with rehabilitation and was never really intended to leave the hospitals. But over the years, the product has crept its way out of the hospitals and into more everyday use. But it really hasn't changed much. Back in the 70s, they added some wheels and a seat and created what's known as a rollator. But the basic innovation, the basic design has stayed pretty much the same for several decades for a number of reasons related to market conditions and insurance and Medicare and all those things. And up until the last few years when a lot of those constraints have really been turned on end and also driven by the growth in the aging boomer populations who have grown up wanting nicer things and better things and nicer things for their parents. So all of those things, you've got a market that is the largest segment of the population, certainly with the largest segment of disposable income and a product that hasn't changed in 70 years. And we know more than half of them are going to have to use it at some point in their life. So Perfect. How did you guys go about redesigning and reinventing the walker? As I mentioned, Jen and I are both industrial designers by background. So we spent the first year just doing consumer research before we even built anything, just going out and talking to folks who use the walkers, dealers, Medicare, suppliers, doctors, rehab nurses, finding out what they wanted. And then we spent another year, we set up our own shop and we made multiple rounds of prototypes and brought those back to those same folks and found out what they liked and didn't like. And then another year and a half after that, working with our manufacturing partners to get something that was mass producible. Perfect. And as you went out and you talked to people, what features were really missing that you said, these are the first couple things we're going to put in a new walker? Yeah, first and foremost, the thing that we heard time and again was that people were told to walk upright with a walker. And the people that used walkers were afraid of using them because they didn't want to become hunched over like a lot of their peers that they saw using them. And the reason for that is that the rolling walkers that most people use out and about in the world, the ones that have a seat and wheels, they have a fixed seat that goes right across where your legs would naturally want to swing. So your doctors and nurses tell you you're supposed to walk upright in the inside of a walker, but you can't because the seat is there. So that drove a lot of our design architecture early on in terms of making the seat conveniently flip up and out of your way when you're not using it so that you can actually walk inside and upright like your doctor wants you to. And it also allows you to get a lot closer to a counter or a sink instead of having to reach 14, 18 inches over your walker to get to your cabinet. You're only three or four inches away because you're actually inside of it. So those basic ergonomics really drove a lot of it. And then there was some just common sense convenience features that we're missing to enable everyday life, like having a tray that you can put a plate of food on and a cup holder that you can put your glass in and storage compartments that you don't have to empty out when you want to fold up the unit. And then lastly, it was the pride and dignity factor of wanting something that didn't stigmatize people as a medical patient. We wanted something that they could actually kind of be proud of. And then the grandkids might think was kind of cool to look at and not something that made them look like a patient. Did this new disruptive design require any kind of new or innovative manufacturing process? Yeah, actually, that was a lot of our work was we had to invent the manufacturing process in order to accommodate a lot of those key features, particularly that ability to walk inside and upright. 
And what we had to invent was basically a unibody walker. It's kind of like if you're familiar with, with car design, back when it used to be all the cars were frame-on body, and then they all went to a unibody or monocoque construction. And that's basically what we had to bring to the walker world in order to get that ergonomic innovation and the convenience features that we wanted all wrapped into the nice, clean design. And so we spent a lot of time material research, manufacturing research, prototyping to get that right. That's also the basis for our patents, which basically enabled us to protect any type of walking aid that's not made out of bent metal tubes. Wow. Talk a little more about those patents. How many do you have? What types of things are you protecting? Well, personally, I mean, my name is on about 160 patents or something. Holy cow. Most of those were, I mean, over my time working in, you know, corporate uh, product design. And, and, you know, certainly those are assigned to the companies that I was working for. But as far as the Motivo patents, you know, those are really the ones that are, I, you know, I think are most valuable to me. We have our main utility patent, which is around that entire space, like I mentioned, of any type of walking aid that's not made out of bent metal tubes. And then we've got several other design and international patents and trademarks as well that protect other types of product categories in the independence enabling space, as well as the aesthetic design and, like I said, also some of our trademark language as well. Perfect. Can you talk about the steps that you went through or you go through to create an environment conducive to letting people live freely, live where they are, live independently, and then how the tour helps that out? Yeah. I think back to my grandmother and my father, who both had to use these kinds of products and kind of the angst that I saw in watching them use it. Neither of them wanted to use these products because they felt like it was such a mismatch for their personality and their sense of pride. And so first, you've got to actually make products that people want to use. I mean, if they don't want to use them, they're going to get injured, which is exactly what happened to my grandmother in her own house. She was embarrassed to use her walker. She didn't want to use it because it made her look and feel like an old person even though she didn't inside feel like an old person. And, and she didn't use it, and she fell, and it kind of put her in the hospital for a long time. So first and foremost, you got to make products people want. And then I think you need to start from the basic user needs versus from just the medical condition, right? And I think if you look at the user needs from a holistic approach versus just from a purely functional medical approach, you end up with products that fit much better into somebody's lifestyle as opposed to just addressing a medical condition, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. In fact, I had almost the same conversation with another guest. Her name was Harriet P., who designs products for Alzheimer's patients. And similar experience, had experience with a relative and found products to be functional, but people wouldn't use them, one, because pride. They weren't beautiful products. They weren't well designed to fit in an environment and in a space. And they were more, I forgot exactly the words you use, but they were clearly all designed in the 40s and 50s and hadn't evolved over time. Yeah, so, yeah for sure. I mean, that's kind of the difference between design and engineering, right? Exactly. Design looks at the person and the user and how they work in their environment, like the home. And the engineering side is more functional and I have got both of those backgrounds in my education and my experience, and I like to think we're bringing that through in Motivo as well. What do users of mobility devices need to know about what's covered under Medicaid and Medicare? 
Sure. I mean, there, there's a lot of changes that have happened in the past five or six years with competitive bidding, as I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, with some dramatic reductions in Medicare reimbursement for all kinds of products, including walking aids, and dramatic reductions in which providers can actually take Medicare now. So the short version of it is our product is a cash-only retail product, and that's based on the feedback we got from the dealers that because the reimbursement rates for Medicare now are so low, it's just not worth their hassle for most of the products that they're bringing in now. And like I said, it's, it's kind of the first time that this industry has become a retail product industry versus a Medicare supply industry. So our product is not covered by Medicare, but it would potentially be covered by private insurance. And that would just be up to people's independent, unique insurance policies to check with them and see what's covered. I've had this same conversation with a lot of innovators, Jeremy, in that you guys are out there creating products that are affordable, less hassle, and the insurance business is not getting on board. I just now, right before I came to this interview, was at the chiropractor doing some therapy on my knees, which my orthopedic told me two years ago that I would need a knee replacement within five years. And my knees are probably 10 years younger just by going through six weeks of therapy with somebody who was working on how to make me better rather than how to replace something. So instead of two $40,000 knee surgeries, I paid out of my own pocket about $3,000 for some therapy for 10-year younger knees instead of replaced knees. And that concerns me a little bit that the insurance side of healthcare isn't catching up. What would you have to say about that? Well, you know, it's a big, giant entity, right? And, you know, things take, especially that size, take a long time to turn and I think as we've seen with the aging boomer population, they've driven lots of industries, lots of product categories. And I would think as the industry hears more and more from the boomer population and their parents and the adults, children and grandchildren that are trying to care for these folks, I think they'll eventually listen. But it is a big industry and it just takes a long time to see that chip. Yeah, we're not going to solve that problem, but I'm going to bitch about it a little. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you wouldn't be the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy, the tour is not just for seniors, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, anybody that needs a little help getting around, when we have these out at trade shows, I mean, we have kids that stop and want to get their picture taken with it just because they think it's cool. They don't even know what it is. And that was kind of one of our original design mantras was, If we could get it to the point where even if you don't need it, you kind of want it just from an object standpoint. And I think we were able to capture some of that in a way that makes the design applicable and usable for all sorts of folks. And then with the custom removable graphics that we offer where you can do all the different sports teams or all the different designs we're going to offer, people can flames, people can really customize it for their specific need and sense of style. Perfect. What's next for Motivo? What do you have planned for the rest of 2016? Well, the rest of 2016 is rolling out the tour, trying to keep up with all of the demand and feedback that we're getting on it. So make sure we get that out there and done well as we continue to work on expanding our products into basically anything that helps people live their lives more independently and do it better is all fair game for the Motivo brand. 
That's great. Appreciate that. Jeremy, we're about to wrap it up here today. Before I let you go, where can people go to learn more about Motivo? Sure. The best place is our website, which is motivolife.com, M-O-T-I-V-O-L-I-F-E.com. Great. Jeremy, it's so great to have you today. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom. Well, Joe, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All right, that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Jeremy Canopo, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.